Well, good morning. My name is Gary Purdy. Uh, my appearance may be a little bit shocking to you. Uh, I did it on purpose. I thought, you know, Chris has such a great reputation in our presbytery. How fun it would be to create some problems for him with rumors that he let a liberal Episcopal priest in to preach to you today. Uh, I, I recently was uh, at eating at the summit, spend most of my time downtown, but someone stopped me as an urban cookhouse, wonderful place, wearing this as I usually do throughout the week, though it, it surprises even me, I promise you. Um, and he stopped me, didn't even introduce himself. He goes, Father? <laughs> and I go, kind of. He goes, Orthodox Presbyterian? I'm like, where did that come from? I said, depends on what you mean. Um, he said, what are you? And I said, I'm PCA. He says, no, you're not. PCA guys don't wear these. Uh, to which I said, desperate ones do. Uh, because we are on, on a mission in the city uh, that requires a lots and lots of plowing uh, that is great, greatly difficult. Uh, in fact, I, I think Al Dayhoff has preached here before. Uh, I, he is a horrible man. He has ruined my life. Uh, he ordered one of these for me. And I protested because my whole ministry career, I've tried to incarnate and fit in. Um, but him seeing something about me I wasn't seeing, one, that I'm not physically big, and then I also don't have a big personality, said, um, what if you wore a collar? And I said, well, obviously no one could miss me. Um, but I don't want to do that. Uh, but he said, what if someone here at the Besitz, which is part of my parish... Uh, were hurting, uh, and they saw you week after week, and they decided, maybe I can talk to him. And over and over, as I've worn this get-up, I've had more and more people who can't miss me, uh, who are hurting, ask if I could pray for them. So this is my mission uniform, uh, day in, day out, as I orbit in the startup community in Birmingham, largely downtown, the fitness community, uh, the startup tech and marketing field where lots of young professionals are, uh, and, and where Birmingham is experiencing the highest ethnic diversity among young professionals it has ever known, and in those rising professionals uh, holds a great deal of hope but the plowing and the ground is really, really hard. Uh, so I, I'm here to talk about mission and neighbors in the sense of people that live among us and in our city, perhaps even among whom you work alongside, uh, but who culturally and philosophically may as well as be from a different planet, uh, from the worldview that many of us hold to. Uh, our passage this morning is Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, so I invite you to turn there or look up there. And would you stand with me uh, as we read this passage and it gives us an, under, an opportunity to pause and reflect on Jesus' mission and ours. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 22. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, wake up, 
during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now here's where the action starts, verse 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors who came, also came to be baptized said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not, I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, that, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened... And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, in this moment... Uh, would you silence the noise and the voices that we talked about and recognized? And would we hear your voice afresh, just as those in that day and Jesus himself heard? We pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, as Frank said in the Confession of Sin, we live with lots of noise externally and internally. 
In fact, perhaps the internal noise drives why we listen to the external noise as much as we do because the internal voices often have messages that we've grown accustomed to and we even speak over ourselves uh, even though we hate them. Here's mine. I'll say it out loud if I'm alone. Stupid. Stupid. Uh, We all hear the voices Most of them came from our childhood. Some of them came from our parents or those that we grew up with. It's the message that has shaped our story uh, because of the fallenness of the world that we live in. And so when those voices get loud, it's really easy to turn to the external voices and just keep a noisy soul going. Uh, All the noises and voices, though, keep us from hearing the Father's voice. Uh, when I'm reflecting, I've got a friend who will frequently say, um, when I, he's hearing something out of the vein of stupid, he, he will simply say, you know, that doesn't sound like the voice of the Master. And all of a sudden, he gives me an entree to, to recognize the false voices that I'm hearing and the Master's voice that I so desperately need to hear. Here we have heaven opened and the voice from heaven speaking clearly to his son, his son whom he loves. Uh, We're going to explore real quickly what's going on here, why it's so important, and how we should respond. First, what's going on here? We'll look at three things, politically, theologically, and literarily. Uh, Politically, there's big-time transition and upheaval. If you remember chapter 2, verse 1, that we read at at Christmas, speaks about uh, the Roman rule being initiated uh, and operating over Israel at that time with Caesar Augustus, right? You remember that name from church history as well as Luke 2. There's a new emperor on the scene, Tiberius. He's 15 years in. Luke is doing his job because he's trying to provide an orderly account for people all over the Roman Empire to understand what's happening, when it's happening, what's the political dynamic in which it's happening. Tiberius, in light of being second to follow Caesar, uh, went ruthless on the peoples that he oversaw, and he exacted it through three new Herods. Uh, There was Herod the Great, uh, who sought to make Israel great again. Uh, He was actually called Herod, Herod the Great, built a temple, but tried to blot out every child born in proximity to the time that Jesus was born. Uh, Quite a controversial character, but uh, had great power. Caesar Augustus has transitioned from the scene. We have Tiberius. Uh, Herod the Great has transitioned from the scene. Uh, We had three of his sons ruling. One did so poorly uh, that they removed him and put in Pontius Pilate. Uh, But the other two Herods, the sons of Herod, uh, were reigning, and that's the political climate. They had changed the high priest, much to Israel's dismay. Uh, But political turmoil is happening all around. I know you can relate. Uh, That's politically what's happening. Theologically, it may have not sounded like this, but Luke just reviewed the entire Old Testament covenant story in a beautiful way. Look at the very end, verse 32. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now think back in the biblical storyline. Has there ever been a dove in the biblical storyline? Where do you go to? 
the Noahic covenant, when Noah sends out a dove. Uh, the Genesis 1 account speaks in dove-like language about the Holy Spirit hovering above the earth. He, he's weaving together the whole biblical story for us to try to point to Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament story. He goes Noahic. He goes Abrahamic. Think in the Bible storyline going way, way back when there is a father and a long-promised beloved son, this only son whom he loves, in Abraham and Isaac. And we have the voice of this father pronouncing over his deeply loved son, this is my beloved son. He is referenced before the people listening to him, taking pride in being Abraham's son. Well, he has the ultimate Abraham's seed and son, the beloved one right before him for his voice to announce to everyone with him, I'm well pleased. We've got Noahic, Abrahamic. We've got the, the Mosaic covenant as well. Where are we when John is baptizing? Did you catch it? the wilderness. What river is he baptizing in them in? The Jordan, which Israel crossed when they left finally behind their slavery in Israel, and they cross the Jordan. Uh, John the Baptist is the new Moses, uh, calling people to be cleansed again in a very dirty river, the Jordan, uh, the very site where God's people be began to experience his promise in the promised land. Uh, in the Mosaic co covenant as well, there were washings. Uh, before Israel received uh, the law of God on the mountain, they had to wash themselves in light of the idolatry and dirtiness of the desert that they had walked to, through, they washed themselves. When God instituted the law, he created washings before the priests could offer the sacrifices and the people could offer the sacrifices. Um, do you remember the story of Naaman in the Old Testament? He's a Gentile who comes from Syria because his servant girl... And when she finds out he has leprosy, says, there is a prophet in Israel you should see. And he goes back to the prophet Elijah who asks him to do the humiliating thing of going to dip himself seven times in the dirty Jordan River in order to experience cleansing. He almost doesn't. But his servants persuade him to go for it. And he experiences the kind of cleansing that he does. Now in the law, there's not any explicit connection that Gentiles had to be washed. But Naaman's example encouraged a practice for Gentiles who wanted to be God-fearers and circumcised that they too were washed. And John comes on the scene uh, calling for repentance. And so he's offering the same kind of temple washing, an opportunity to be cleansed from your idolatry and the sin and the dirt of the wilderness, to come like Gentiles, not deserving, uh, but to experience cleansing so that you too might experience the promise of God. There's laces and hints of the Davidic promise with the longing for a worthy son and a worthy king in light of the unworthiness of Tiberius and the Herods. And there is new covenant wrapped up right in the middle. Look at verses 4 through 6. 
uh, halfway through verse 4, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is Isaiah 40, kind of the beginning of the second half of Isaiah, prophesying the coming of one who would prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight so that the king, the Messiah, would come and create and bring justice. Uh, he references the baptism that he does is different from the baptism that the one who is coming will do. He said, I do a physical baptism, but there is one who is coming who will baptize you with what? Holy Spirit and fire. Uh, this Luke, the author of Luke and Acts, who when Holy Spirit would come for Jesus' baptism to truly take place, he baptizes those believers in Jerusalem with spirit and with fire. That's a lot that's going on theologically, politically, theologically, and literarily. The crisis point, the way the story is arranged, it's told like one story, even though the chronology is off. Uh, but the crisis and the resolution, as you might expect, are towards the end. Uh, look at the crisis in verse 18. Uh, because this is chronologically out of order, but literarily it's Luke's emphasis. 18, so with many other exhortations, he, speaking of John the Baptist, preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife. Now that makes you want to throw up a little, right? And she was his niece. I just threw up a little more. He challenges him for all the evil things that Herod had done and added to them all, and he locked him up in prison. Now, now we know because of what's happening in a moment that what he's about to describe was not when John was locked in prison because this happened when John was actually out there baptizing. But you see what Luke is doing. He, he's highlighting unworthy sons. He's highlighting unworthy kings in contrast to the worthy son and the worthy king. Verse 21, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and praying, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Why is this important? We desperately need a better king than our hearts and our minds gravitate to. Uh, we need a greater king than a politician or thought leader that either frustrates you or think you think has got it all figured out. Uh, we need a better king and a better storyline than the authority that's in your life that always seems to be blocking your path. Uh, we need a better king, we need a better son than you are for your own life. We need a better son and a better king who's willing to stand in your muddy waters, identifying with your dirt and uncleanness, so that you and I might experience the king as well as the cleansing that we greatly need. Now, I've done... Upwards, uh, close to 75 interviews with people that have chosen their way out of church in the downtown footprint. Uh, here's the thought leader and king of most of them. It's probably different than yours. Uh, Jeffrey Bezos and Elon Musk. 
Uh, the storyline that's espoused by them, that's held to by many, is all that we experience in this life is just is. There was no prime mover of it all. The greatest evil that there is is when powerful people exert force and oppress others, and it won't stop. So what we must do, because we are going to destroy this planet one way or another, is invest in artificial intelligence so we can develop space travel and colonize another planet. Now, I am not making this up. You're, you're giggling. Well, they laugh at us for what we believe. But, but as I hear that storyline, I grow increasingly confident of the gospel storyline in contrast. Uh, for all the wonderful things, perhaps, about Elon Musk and Jeffrey Bezos, we need a better king, a better son than thought leaders like that. And we desperately need to be cleansed. Uh, I mentioned Al Dayhoff. I'm editing a book that he's writing, and he writes this way. This is my edited good grammar version of what he writes. <laughs> I own a black truck. I love how it shines when I wash and polish it. It's like you can see into the black paint two-dimensionally like a mirror. You know what I'm talking about? It makes me wonder if black is brighter than any color. But when my black truck gets dirty, it shows every speck of dirt. There is no hiding. To own a black truck means you might want to commit to washing it often. We're like those black trucks. There's dimension and difficulty and pain that brings texture and color, but we're in need of Jesus cleansing for the dirt and the sin that comes from the idolatries, of the other things than Jesus that we worship. Why it's important? We desperately need a better king and a better son. And we desperately need Christ cleansing. So how do we respond? It's counterintuitive, but it answers your deepest struggle. It's listening. Listening to His voice. This is my beloved Son. In Him I am well pleased. You see, if you're baptized in Jesus and believe the good news about Jesus, those words of the Father spoken so boldly from heaven of His Son are also true for you and I. He says, you are my beloved son and daughter. In you I am well pleased. Can you pause this morning to put your name into the beloved son and beloved daughter. Can you hear the father say with your name, this is my beloved son and daughter in whom I am well pleased. I was talking with uh, David, a guy in our church who grew up with and experiences lots of voices from his childhood that are confusing. Uh, when he quizzes his two-and-a-half-year-old, Rye, uh, about what he thinks about who loves him, he says, Daddy loves me, Mommy loves me, goes through his grandparents, and some of us at our church, because we're small enough, and he'll say my name, which I love, and Gary loves me. 
And David said, it almost makes me angry. How can he be so sure? How can he be so sure? We baptized Rye last Sunday, the two and a half year old. When Rye comes to our worship service, he often falls asleep in the car on the way there uh, because we meet at five o'clock. And so he comes in not quite ready for the crowd. And so he puts his hands over his eyes and says, I shy, I shy, (laughs) just like this. But then when he gets over, I shy, then he'll do what he's heard on the radio a number of times that you have too. But when a two and a half year old says it with a really thick Alabama accent that I can't quite manufacture, he says, call me Alabama. (laughs) He's rather endearing. So when you're a small church, you can write the children's names that you baptize into the lyrics. Uh, So this is what I wrote. Jesus loves Rye, this we know, for the Bible tells us so. Sometimes he can be quite shy. Call me Alabama, is his cry. One of the members of our church, another guy, Aaron, said, maybe we should think about what the verse would sound like if we wrote our names into it too. And then Aaron asked me for mine. I currently don't like Aaron, (laughs) but it revealed in me the distrust in my heart for the Father's voice. I have other voices. I'm doing lots of plowing, (laughs) not having much evidence of his love. But the Father's voice resounds. This is Gary, my son, whom I love, and whom I am well pleased. You're trying to answer that question every day. Jesus and the Father have sealed the answer for you already. If you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, that question of am I okay And am I deeply loved that drives your every day has been answered. And when that question has been answered for you, it calls and propels you out. And guess what? You can be free from being consumed with yourself, from trying to get that answered in all kinds of other ways. And guess what? Everyone around you throughout the day is asking that same question. And as you're sent and having that question answered in your own heart and mind, you can be there to answer the question with the Father's voice, affirming the image of God so that they can hear His well-pleased and their sonship and daughtership. Uh, Yesterday, Rosaria Butterfield at a conference said, There are millions of people who believed in Jesus after sharing the 500th meal in the home of someone who heard those words. We make it much more complicated than it needs to be. If we're baptized and celebrate his meal, we are sent. We are on mission. Let me pray.